0: Hey guys, Rusty here, and thanks so much for listening to the Impact Dynamics Live podcast. Uh, This is the uh, video show that happens uh, daily at the moment uh, during this uh, challenging time that we're experiencing. Uh, And uh, such a few things don't translate across to audio so well, but I hope you enjoy it. This is, uh, we're into the second cycle of Team Impact, so if you've got missions that you're doing or goals that you're setting, uh, please let us know and uh, enjoy the show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Rusty here. Welcome back to Impact Dynamics Live for uh, this Thursday night reloading night. Always Thursday night is reloading night. Uh, let us know if you are in the chat and you're doing some reloading tonight because it's probably uh, a good thing to be doing on a Thursday night, especially given news that uh, we're starting to see more and more ranges open up and uh, and events starting to uh, tentatively be announced, which is uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic news. Right, hope you guys are well tonight. Uh, G'day to Scott and Craig and Charles and Anthony and Andrew, Mark, uh, another Scott as well. Jimmy, Ben's here. Uh, All sorts of stuff. Uh, Yes, uh, Andrew has already noticed the hat. Guess what delivery I had today. This is Ironside Coffee Company. I'm going to have to refocus that camera. There you go, Ironside Coffee Company. You can't hear me now. Uh, my coffee order arrived today, so I'm back on deck. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm back on beans, which is uh, fantastic. And I've tried their new um, their new dark roast, and that is wonderful. So if you like your dark roast coffees, I highly recommend uh, you to grab uh, some Ironside coffee. And if you like your medium roast, well, you can actually, they do them all. So just go and just spend all your money with Ironside. Um, but save a little bit because tonight's show is uh, sponsored by Projectile Warehouse and you can save 5% off at Projectile Warehouse by using the code IDLIVE5. That's number five, IDLIVE5, and you'll be able to save uh, fi- further 5% off any uh, savings up there already. Uh, and that includes uh, Outer Edge Projectiles, uh, which are the full range is available there and uh, we'll find out a little bit more about them when Steve comes on board, of course. Now as As many of you guys know, or if you are here for your first time, uh, this is uh, the last week uh, of the show. Uh, We wrap up Monday next week, so that means we've got Friday, Sunday, and Monday left. Uh, Not too many shows, and of course, tonight to get through as well. Uh, Tomorrow night, Tiff Dew out of the UK, Mr. Precision Rifle himself from uh, the UK, is joining us to chat about all things that are happening over that side of the world, uh, especially regarding firearms over the last few years and, and where he's come from. where he's going and what's happening there. It's a very interesting story. So I look forward to being able to share that with you. Hey uh, if you watched last night, how good was last night? Uh, Luke from The Bearded Chap came on board and I had uh, I I didn't actually know he was a shooter when I first asked him to come on board. I just thought he had a, a fascinating, interesting, exciting story about his business and then worked out he was a shooter and um, he actually hung around last night in the Zoom room and now is all booked in as soon as he can to get out to a uh, local uh, PRS-style match um, when they are back up and running. So that was awesome uh, and slightly unexpected, but uh, we we what I do, what do I need to get, let's let's make it happen. So that was exciting. So uh, Luca, you never know, you might see the bearded chap out at some shoots very soon. Which will be good. All right, uh, that is, I think, about what we uh, need to do. We're just uh, waiting for some. Uh, 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 what are we? Uh, what are we going on there? Andrew's talking about. Oh, they're, they're having some banter in uh, in between each other. <laughs> uh, tonight's topic uh, is is intermediate ballistics, and I suspect if I attempt to explain what that is, I will ruin it uh, completely. So I am uh, definitely going to allow Steve Hurt from Outer Edge Projectiles to, uh, to cover that off, uh, and I'm not even going to give it a, an intro, because no matter what I say, it's going to be wrong, I think. So let's, uh, let's get the, the, the information from the man himself. Steve, uh, how are you tonight? Really good, Rusty. How are you? I'm going great, mate. How is, uh, how is Orange? Is it freezing there this evening?
1: Uh, in the middle of, I mean, you've you probably got a good half inch of frost each mo- uh, each morning on the ground waiting for you. But uh, right. other than that, it's beautiful balmy weather. At least it's positive <laughs> figures.
0: Oh, fantastic, mate! Excellent. And uh, and how is uh, outer edge going?
1: Well, last week was absolute gangbusters. Um, right. It's quite been a little bit this week, but uh, yeah, probably just as well because we've had so much to do. I've been putting in some pretty big days to. Uh, get the orders through and also did some prep work on some uh, uh, research and development testing that we've got coming up tomorrow. Brilliant. So, uh, yeah, uh, we've had some pretty good results uh, uh, down at Lithgow in the last few days and uh, we've got uh, a lot more to be tested again tomorrow.
0: Fantastic. Oh, well, good stuff. Good to uh, good to hear new uh, new projectiles on their way, which is always exciting, uh, new products and such. But fantastic, mate. So, look... um. So intermediate ballistics, if I've said that correctly, that's tonight's topic, and and you've spent a bit of time getting this prepared for everyone because you thought it was a, a very important topic that, that many people don't touch on. Can you give us, like, the, the quick little overview of what we're going to talk about, and then we'll delve into it?
1: Okay. Well, there are four main areas of uh, ballistic research. One is internal ballistics. In other words, what happens when you... The, the result of your loading or, or the factory ammunition, the explosion, the ejection mm-hmm. of the projectile down the barrel, then you have intermediate uh, ballistics, which is uh, what happens uh, to both the barrel and the bullet as the bullet leaves the muzzle, and there's an awful lot going on there that are very interesting, which we'll delve into. Yep. And then you've then of course the third area is in-flight ballistics, and the fourth area, of course, is terminal ballistics. Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at uh, in, uh, intermediate ballistics, we're basically talking about what happens to the barrel and what happens to the bullet. Yep. And there's an awful lot of dramatic change taking place very, very quickly um, in nanoseconds. Right. Um, basically, basically, um, uh, what's happening is that as the bullet leaves the barrel, uh, the barrel is being significantly affected in a number of ways. The peak pressure from ignition um, uh, inside a barrel is usually between fifty-eight and sixty-three thousand psi. Most people who need to put that into a context—that's over 35 tons per square inch. Wow! Right at 35 tons per square inch, we're talking about enormous pressures. Mm -hmm. By the time the bullet gets to the muzzle, we're talking about uh, about five and a half, five and three quarter tons per square inch. And what happens to the barrel or to the muzzle? uh, at that point, uh, when the bullet reaches there under those conditions, mm-hmm. is entirely dependent on the steels from which the barrel was made and what's been done to the barrel and how the barrel was made. And to give you a classic example of that, um, when the bullet is uh, approaching the muzzle, the muzzle is at that point in time at its thinnest point. Generally speaking, unless you've got a but basically a a, a straight tube, uh, your muzzle is the thinnest point, and most people these days are tending to want to run muzzle breaks. What people don't understand when they put a muzzle break on a muzzle is needs to be reviewed. What basically happens is that. If you have a barrel that is a clean barrel that is not threaded, generally speaking, you don't have much, if any, change. But when you turn down the muzzle to receive a, mu- a thread for a muzzle break, what that last inch or two of, uh, of the muzzle will do will depend largely on how that b- barrel was made. So if it was a hammer-forged barrel that area will tend to want to constrict a little bit choking the muzzle. That's a good thing. Be, uh, a slight choking of the muzzle is actually uh, a very good thing uh, that, to happen. But if the barrel was cut rifled, the chances of anything happening uh, are not very much. But if it was a pull-button barrel and the outside was relieved and the thread cut, then it tends to want to expand blunderbussing uh the muzzle uh, if it's not done properly Mm -hmm. now there are a number of ways of addressing that and it all comes down to uh, the thread diameter and thread pitch on a uh, Hammer forged barrel like a, uh, a lithgo or a sarco, a sarco or a ticker or a ruger or anything along those lines. Uh, most of them, the, I think the tickers and the sarcos are cut 14 by 1, but just about everybody else is doing 5 8 by 24. On a hammer forged barrel, you can get away with those uh, wall thicknesses and tolerances. On a full button rifle, you can't. now how you how you address that really comes back down to the thread diameter and pitch that needs to be applied and it will come down to the way that barrel was made so if you're running a 308 in a hammer forged barrel a 58 for 24 is fine but if you're running a um, uh, a cut rifle barrel you might want to tweak it up to uh, around about a 16 or a 17 uh, a mil thread and if you're running a full um, button rifle, you really want to be looking at around about a 19 millimetre or three quarter inch uh, thread cut to stop that barrel from blunderbussing at the muzzle. Now, what a lot of fellows are doing, of course, is you know, because barrels are basically a consumable item, they'll grab their, their ticker or their let's go or what have you um, Particularly in competition, and they've run their three, four, five thousand rounds through it, need to replace the barrel. Getting a, a replacement factory barrel is all but impossible, so they tend to, go to an aftermarket barrel supplier, okay. not realizing that the barrel is made differently and therefore requires different thread fittings at the end to receive yeah. uh, the muzzle brake. Mm. Uh, now, I know I'm going a bit, uh, a bit quickly here, no. but uh, what that, that is really, really important because it's understandable that somebody who said, look, I've got a really great result from my um, uh, LIPGO 105, um, this is the muzzle brake that came off it, replace the barrel and put this muzzle brake back on, please. Now, If that was a 30 cal uh, and a 5.8 for 24 using a pull-button barrel, you could end up with less than satisfactory results. It really does depend on a the quality of the brake and how well the uh, the gunsmith executed the installation and the thread cut was it center turned and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now the other thing that's critical about uh, uh, the installation of the muzzle brake is that the whole is the hole clearance. Yep. So if you've got if you've got a uh, uh, we'll come back to the 308. Most people think that a 308 is actually a 7.62, but it's not. It's a 7.823. So you really, the muzzle brake needs to be around about 8.8 or half a millisecond clearance so that you don't get air cushioning, uh, between the, the brake and the bullet, uh, giving, uh, irregular, uh, irregular results. So on one hand, that's what happens to the barrel. The next step is to look at what happens to the bullet and then how we marry them together.
0: Just half a sec, Steve. On, on that there with the um, you, you talked about the barrel and having muzzle brakes on, does that is that affect only only when we're, we're threading a barrel? Or if we've got like a, a thinner profile barrel, is that does that come into it as well? Is that is that another factor that should be considered? It
1: depends. <laughs> Uh, to a much lesser extent, on a clean barrel that is not threaded, it's much less important.
0: So it's it's the difference between it being being clean to actually then having having a, a, a change or you know cutting into it rather than it being um, a clean end on it.
1: When you turn the muzzle down, firstly you, you're tending to turn it down to less than what it was. Mm-hmm. And then you're cutting a thread, which is normally at least a millimeter, maybe more yep. deep. Yeah. Right. So you've gone from a 15, 16 millimeter muzzle. Now, then you've turned it down to five eight, which is 15.88. Mm-hmm. And then you have cut another mil off that. Yep. And then you halve that and subtract, subtract the, the, uh, the caliber. And you're really talking about three, three and a half mil of steel. Trying to contain five and a half, five and three quarter ton per square inch. And that's got to go somewhere. The only way that it can be made to go forward only is for the thickness of that material around the muzzle to be thick enough yep. to contain that. Now, if you don't have threads cut into it, a 16 millimeter uh, muzzle is fine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It, even on a 308. And obviously, when you're running smaller calibers on like the 22, the 6mm, 6.5, you've got a bigger margin for error if you're still using that same thread cut. Yep. When you're looking at something like a, a Tikka or a Sarko at 14 by one you're still getting away with it solely because it's a hammer-forged barrel.
0: Yes, Yeah.
1: When you then go to a say a pull button rifle back in installed back into the same original platform and then turning that down put a very small muzzle cut and thread on it to receive the original uh, muzzle brake. Mm-hmm. Now your tolerances are really really fine yeah. and and some people seem to believe that uh, the muzzle brake installed on there will help that steel contain the pressures well it does to a point but you've got to remember that even the very very best wire cut thread installations have only got 40 percent engagement hmm. if it had any more than that you wouldn't be able to screw it on. <laughs>
0: that's it's a downside yeah Right. so
1: um the, installing the muzzle brake um, does to a small extent help contain uh, uh that pressure back on but you would not sensibly under any circumstances fire that rifle without the brake if it was turned down to a three or a three and a half in the wall thickness it was a full button rifle
0: understand thank you for clarifying on onto the bullet
1: right okay right when the bullet leaves the barrel the bullet is actually a resistance plug, and it's doing the velocity it's doing because of the enormous pressures behind it. Mm-hmm. Those pressures uh, might be declining from peak pressure, but they're still very, very high at, you know, at, at normally, normally around about five and a half, five and three quarter ton uh, per square inch. So what's happening when that bullet relieves the obstruction to the gases, the gases are now accelerate even though the bullet is not and the the gases that accelerate are wanting to accelerate to something like 3 to 4 times the velocity of the bullet that's 12,000 feet per second so for around about 3 to 4 calibers the gases are trying very very hard to overtake the bullet All right on a flat base bullet, when the bullet leaves uh, the, the barrel, you might have uh, some drawings there to draw um, up and have a look. And if you don't, if they haven't come through yet, then uh, we'll, we'll talk about them a little bit later.
0: They have not come through. I'm sorry, Steve. Not yet.
1: Okay. Basically, what happens when uh, if you have a flat base bullet, as it leaves the muzzle, the gases tend to fly out from the muzzle at about a 400-metre bench rest uh, because they're stable right off the end of the muzzle. If the length is right and the barrel twist for the bullet chosen is correct, then a, a flat base bullet with a perfectly executed crown, the gases will fly out at 45 degrees, will not overtake the bullet, and the, ga- and the bullet has got what we call a clean flight path. The next uh, best option to that would be a rebated boat tail, where the uh, the boat tail is stepped in from the shank, mm-hmm. and you've got a little bit of a flat between the uh, the shank and the, the rebated boat tail. Yep. And the gases, whilst they wanting they're wanting to uh, overtake the bullet, hit that little flat and still come out probably somewhere between forty five and sixty degrees. And the bullet still has a relatively clean flight path. Now we're talking about an unbreaked muzzle here. Right? Mm-hmm. No break, no muzzle break at all, no suppressor, nothing along those lines. This is we're talking about a clean muzzle. Yes. When a boat tail bullet is used, particularly aggressive boat tails, which are designed to be um, really high BC, high flight efficiency flight path efficiency, Mm -hmm. we must remember that the bullet is now a high BC bullet in both directions, and that the gas coming up the tail Mm -hmm. now has a clean flight path to overtake the bullet and completely envelop it. So the bullet is now flying through its own uh, pressure cloud. And it's applying leverage on the back of that boat tail bullet, which tends to want to destabilise it. Now, you can address that a couple of ways by accelerating the twist rate uh, of your your barrel. But it still requires an extremely well-made bullet Mm -hmm. and a perfectly executed crown, which is square to the ball. So that when the bullet leaves the, the uh, the muzzle, mm-hmm. that the gases are leaving evenly. Yep. But that doesn't do anything to address the, uh, the gas cloud that is overtaking the bullet. And if anybody's ever seen high, uh, DC bullets, uh, in a, uh, shadow graph high speed camera scenario, you'll actually see from, uh, the Kersiat site, uh, where or you're talking about one 1.1 million frames a second, there's a very short period of time where you can't see the ball of the ball because the gas cloud from the expanding gases has completely enveloped and overtaken uh, the projectile. Mm-hmm. This is a destabilising factor. Now, there are a number of ways that you can address that. And probably the most popular way, or the best way, of addressing a high BC bullet with an aggressive boat tail, is to put a muzzle brake on your muzzle, um, okay. because that that diverts the gases and prevents the uh, particularly uh, yeah that diverts the gases and prevents the gases from overtaking the bullet at any point in time. Yes, it's applying a small amount of leverage to the boat tail but it never gets the opportunity to overtake any more than about half the bullet length, reducing enormously um, the uh, disturbance that the bullet has to fly, uh, fly through. Yep. Now, when we're looking at a muzzle brake, there are probably, do you, do you want to stop there if there are any questions and we'll come back and talk about muzzle brake design to see how that we can use that to address the, the bullet leaving.
0: I was going to ask you about uh, you, you alluded to the fact that you you can you can do things to try and stop that or with the with that the boat tail that your effect you're getting with a high BC on the back end bullet by using twist rate are you able to sort of talk about that how that works because I found that that curious.
1: When uh, look for a bullet to be stable um, you really want the, uh, the, the minimum dispersion uh, force applied to it. So the bullet needs to leave the muzzle and the crown absolutely perfectly square. Mm-hmm. It's extremely challenging to achieve that, particularly with a, um, a traditional bullet because the base of every traditional bullet has a rounded chamfer on each edge. If it didn't, they wouldn't be able to extrude it from the mould. Yep. All right. Those rounded edges, as they leave a muzzle, mean that it's virtually impossible to get even gas uh, dispersion around the bullet as it leaves the muzzle. Mm-hmm. To some extent, you can resolve that by accelerating the twist rate, which accelerates the spin rate of the bullet, helping to stabilise it earlier. Okay. And that it doesn't stop the dispersion forces of the gases being applied. It just helps to resist it better.
0: Yep. Makes sense. Makes sense. There is a, a question there that may be relevant at the moment, which is about um, preference on muzzle crowns. Do, do you find the design of the, the crown can affect uh, play, play a role in what you're talking about?
1: I think uh, I think yes, it does. Um, I prefer a flat crown with an eleven-degree chamfer toward the outside. Okay. Um, look, to be perfectly around, um, a round crown will work if it's executed perfectly, but they never are. <laughs> they tend to be. They tend to use um, uh, machinery which is uh, designed to make it cost-effective to put a crown on it to prevent that. Um, that, that little exit point, right at the the, the tip of the threading, yep. not the threading, the uh, the rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I prefer a target crowning most definitely, and even my hunting rifles have a target crown. Yes, they do. So I, I I literally apply a target or a eleven degree uh, crown to every rifle, uh, whether it's a hunting rifle or a target rifle or just a fun hunting.
0: Mm-hmm. And. Another another question that's probably possibly relevant at this point is: Does the barrel length play any role in this process?
1: It does for harmonics and it does for nodal point development. Okay, but it depends. Um, If you're going to have a light sporter weight barrel that's twenty six inches long or twenty eight inches long, and it's very very thin and light, Mm -hmm. it might. But generally speaking, if somebody's going for a 26 inch or longer barrel, they tend to be heavier, like a number five or a number six profile, sure. which tends to negate most of those problems.
0: Okay. Okay. So it perhaps affects elsewhere more than this specific. Uh, yeah, part I, we've yeah about I, I, so I wouldn't. Far. Yeah. yeah, sure. I um, wouldn't
1: get too attached to barrel length on that one, though. No, no, no. Um, But the the other thing it will do, though, is if you've got a 26 or a 28-inch barrel, Mm -hmm. um, the pressure at the crown will be less.
0: Okay, yep.
1: Excellent. Um, So it it probably would reduce um, uh, the influence, but how much I couldn't really say. Just about everything I've ever done the maths on has had an exit pressure of somewhere between 8,500 and 12,000 psi. To be honest, when you're up at that level, which is over... Still over five ton. I think it's fairly academic.
0: <laughs> sure, sure, no problems. Um, there's talk, talk, talk in the chat about uh, Remington rifles uh, that the barrels having a uh, slightly small diameter choke in the last inch or so of their barrel. Are you f- familiar with that at all? I, I don't want
1: to get sued by what I would say about a Remington barrel. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, they're bankrupt anyway. So, what are you worried about? All right, carry, carry on, Steve. Let's uh, let's go with uh, with the next part.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, when you look at um, all of the massive kerfuffle that happens when a uh, the, the bullet leaves the muzzle, and you've got the gases, look the, the gases. Even though they're not. Uh, Oxygen and nitrogen anymore. The sectional density and the mass of the uh, gas molecules is similar to uh, the air that it's hitting. So it's going from twelve thousand feet per second hitting the hitting the air, and the the gas molecules hitting the other gas molecules in the air run out of steam pretty quickly. Doesn't matter how fast you're travelling when you run into something your own size. Um, things are going to go bang, yep. and fly off in all sorts of different directions, and you're going to get a massive shock wave as a result of doing that. Mm-hmm. And you want to keep that shock wave as far away from the bullet as you possibly can.
2: Sure. Right. Yep.
1: Now that only extends for about three to four calibers, but that's um, depending on the the uh, projectile you're running. That might be uh, inch inch and a half. Uh, but uh, in some of the uh, higher BC uh, bullets, where the gas has given them a clean flight path, that might extend up to maybe an inch and a half to two inches, mm-hmm. where the uh, or, or, or 38 to 50 mil, uh, where the gases are applying their destabilizing forces to the back of the bullet. Yep. And it's the back, and it's the back of the bullet that we're really interested in in uh, intermediate ballistics. The front of the bullet is not so important it becomes important once it's in free
0: flight Sure, yep. So,
1: we then come back and look at the issue of, okay, a muzzle brake has a job to do. And the job tends to be broken up into three really important uh, areas. One is recoil reduction. One is the maintenance of site picture. And the other one is not to blow the uh, uh, the shooter's head off with concussion. And whilst that might um, sound a little bit uh, facetious, if you're firing a large number of uh, rounds in, in quick succession, that concussion can, is actually a very serious issue. I, yeah. uh, I was really keen to um, hear what Luke had to say about that the other night. Uh, when he was talking about changing the brake yeah, from one configuration to another so that he uh, was uh, minimising his concussion, which was interfering with his capacity to shoot well. Yep, yep. Well, of course. But what I, uh, in all the research that I've done on muzzle brakes, I've found that of the three areas that are really important, I haven't found one muzzle brake that does all three exceptionally well you'll find that a muscle brake might do one thing exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. A very, very small handful might do two things very well. Mm-hmm. But I haven't seen anything that does three, all three things really well. Yep. So, so without wanting to get into trouble with, say, Terminator, uh, I look at the Terminator or the APA-type uh, uh, brakes and they are really, really good and efficient in reducing recoil. Yep. And if you're hanging on to a, um, a 375 Snipe Tack, Shade Tack, 50 Browning, or any of that that ilk, mm-hmm. the management of recoil is really important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you want to enjoy your shooting.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: To be perfectly honest, if you're running a 22 caliber, a 6 mil, or even a 6.5, from a recoil perspective, I wonder why you would need a muzzle brake at all.
0: No, it's not. It's not the need for it.
1: There's no need for it, mm-hmm. but there is a sideline benefit in mm-hmm. terms of the stabilisation of, of a high BC bullet.
2: Yep.
1: Firstly, we'll, we'll come back and we'll come back to that in a minute. We'll finish the areas where the muzzle brake really needs to be important. Uh, applied on a uh, small caliber rifle, particularly for a PRS application, sure. where most blokes, I believe, are running six and 6.5s, Yep, um, is the maintenance of sight picture.
0: Yes, hundred percent. Yeah,
1: and, and there are much better brake designs for sight picture maintenance uh, as opposed to recoil management. And what i found is that the ones that are really good in sight picture maintenance also tend to be relatively good in muzzle blast management mm-hmm. in other words you're not getting concussed yep. uh, and I, I, i'm not here to promote other people's product but um there there are muscle breaks out there that do the um sight picture maintenance and muzzle blast management much better and that, in my view, are far more important than recoil management. Yep. So, so so, what's essentially important is that the gap between the plates as the bullet passes through has two critically important issues. Firstly, the gap between the plate should not be wider than the shank length of the bullet. That the shank is exiting the muzzle. Yep. That's important because the gas can't overtake it. That's critically important. Now, some gas is going to get past that because you've got to have clearance between the bullet and the brake. Mm All
2: right?
1: That plate gap is critically important. And in my view, the plate needs to be at 90 degrees uh, to the the ball. Mm Mm-hmm. That is not the most efficient way to manage recoil. Yeah, I get it, yep. It is the most efficient way to strip gases. Yes. And if you have a flat plate with a clean hole, like a washer, you are efficiently diverting the gases uh, properly and correctly. Uh, and it's really important that plate be absolutely flat because it's almost the equivalent of the uh the crowning on your muzzle you don't want it to be offset uh sorry offset at an angle to the flight path otherwise you're going to get uh, you're going to advantage the gases from one side to the other in, in applying leverage to the boat car yep. so a high BC boat ball passing through a muzzle brake will improve stability and accuracy if it is really well designed and exceptionally well executed.
0: And, and huh? you're saying, Steve, that the, the 90 degree, the, the, the nice, obviously, well-made 90 degree type uh, brakes are, are going to be more favourable in this scenario than the ones that sort of angle back to, to reduce the recall down. Uh, and and, and yeah. I imagine the the ones that are, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, but are balanced, so they're coming out left and right as opposed to left and right and underneath or above or something on those lines, as long as they're ported uh, in a balanced manner, or does that have another okay. effect?
1: Okay. Um, I make breaks, but I don't make them for sale. I do them, I do them for myself mm-hmm. right uh, I know I know that yeah, uh, there are a few good gunsmiths like Jeff Borg around who are, are making their uh, make their own muscle brakes yep and that they work extremely well. Yep. there is absolutely no way on God's little green earth I would ever run a muscle brake that was a radial in radial in style. In other words, no plate and just holes drilled all the way around. It. <coughs> okay yep right. Uh, because there is no opportunity basically uh, under under that scenario mm-hmm. yes the gases are coming out all over the place but you've got this tunnel that the bullet is passing through and some destabilizing gases are pushing in between the bullet and the brake yep no? and i I think it's extremely important that the, uh, that the gas gets stripped off somewhere in that bullet shank link the other thing that's really important is that the, uh, the blast plates, is what I call them, or the blast shield, or the plates that they pass through, mm-hmm. have got to be uh, a, a certain proportion. They can't be too thick. Otherwise, you'll start um, creating a, a gas cushion between the bullet and the uh, uh, and the clearance.
2: Yep.
1: I prefer to see nothing more than uh, two, two and a half mil thick and i've seen plates that have been like nearly four and five so i think i wonder how on earth they could possibly shoot right yep uh, so all my brakes, or all, all the brakes that i use whether they're mine or somebody else's are all um uh, 90 degree ported. um they will be as big as i can possibly fit into that lump of steel yep uh safely yes and uh, there will never ever be a, uh, a vertical hole underneath, but I do use vertical holes on the flat on top, uh, and I calibrate that to the calibre to give sufficient downforce to maintain sight picture. Okay, but it's uh, it's a, it, it's a tricky one to get right. If it's too small, you'll get muzzle jump.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If it's too big it's going to push the muzzle down and then just go up in very small increments until i get it right because if you make it too big you've got to throw it out and make <laughs> one. Oh,
0: that's right you got to start again
1: yeah yeah mm.
0: there's a uh, there, there's a lot in the, the muzzle brake side i think i certainly have seen guys who have gone oh i can do that i've got a, a cnc or i've got a middle or whatever and the way they start going and uh, and then often they uh, they end up buying one <laughs> that i've seen because they they oh. shoot somebody else off and go oh hang on there's
1: might be a bit more to this. Yeah. Well, uh, when you sh- when you shoot uh, a rifle with a good break on it that allows you to maintain sight picture at short range, mm-hmm. you know you've got it right. Yeah. Uh, it's easy enough to maintain uh, a reasonable sort of, of sight picture at a thousand meters, fifteen hundred meters, two thousand meters. But at two hundred, at one hundred meters, it doesn't have to jump very much for you to lose all, lose it all together.
0: No, not wrong. Yeah,
1: and uh, and uh, it's in that scenario that you know you've got your muscle break right. Now, if you're using one of those angled back brakes, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, they have a place.
2: Yeah. I- if
1: I'm hanging on to a 50, if I'm hanging onto a fifty BMG, mm-hmm. yes, I'm going to have a few I'm going to have an outer out earmuffs and a helmet on and all the rest of it. <laughs> because I yep. hate the back yep. yep,
2: But how else are you going to
1: manage the recoil?
2: Yeah.
1: No? so yeah, it's not that they, it's not that that style of brake doesn't have a place. It certainly does. It's, but I do tend to think that I do tend to think that people putting them on a twenty-two two-fifty are looking at it more of a fashion accessory than a uh, <laughs> uh, than, than a worthwhile tool.
0: As with the many, last thing, many things in this sport, it's horses for courses, isn't it? It's using the, the right tool yeah. for the job, and the more you understand, that, the, the better you can cho- choose that tool because it doesn't necessarily mean one is wrong. It's just uh, application is so key.
1: Well, the other thing to, that a lot of blokes don't realise is that if the muzzle brake is well and properly designed and installed, mm-hmm. it will also significantly... Well, it has the potential to significantly reduce your ESs and SDs.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And that's, to me, is really important. Mm. So when I'm looking at a muzzle break, uh, if I'm using good hearing protection and I'm and I te- and, and I'm using a relatively small or light calibre, mm-hmm. concussion blast is not really something I need to worry about. Yep. Recoil is all but irrelevant. <laughs> Sight picture becomes my sole focus. Yes. Sorry, my primary focus. And I'll know if I've done it right, if my ESs and SDs come down significantly. Mm -hmm. And uh, you tend to notice that more on 6.5s and above. Okay. Your ESs and SDs are not gonna come down a lot on six mils and below. Mm -hmm. They might come down one or two, maybe three feet a second. But on a six point five, seven thirty 30 cal, They'll actually come down noticeable and measurable percentages. Yep. Uh, but so in, if I'm talking about a 30 cal, and by that I'm in a 308 on 300 normal. By 30 cal and below, I'm really interested in maintaining sight picture. Yep. Uh, and reducing my ESs and SDs. Mm-hmm. The muzzle blast and the recoil to me at that point in time are, I really don't care. So much of a factor it does. You do then have to start uh, thinking about uh, how you're going to handle it uh, with a 300 norma. Yep. And I don't change the design for a 300 norma. I just add more ports. Okay. All right. Yep. yep. Um. I general. I'm generally running a three port, but we'll go to a four port if if really necessary.
2: Got it. Yep. So, that is
1: what. So, if you're running a high BC boat tail bolt, mm-hmm. if if the competition you're in will allow you to, a muzzle brake is a real bona fide bonus. Yeah. It's a real it's a real tool, a real asset. Yeah. But it has to be well designed and well executed. And the biggest mistake most people make is choosing the wrong thread to put it on. Yeah. And by that I mean by that I mean diameter not pitch. If somebody says they've got an eighteen and uh, an eighteen by one, and somebody's talking you know, about an eighteen by one and a half, I'm really not interested in the conversation. It's the diameter that's important, not the uh, not whether it's uh, a one mil or one and a half mil pitch or what have you.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah, I got a got a link through uh, from from Hamish Allen, uh about um, a US uh, uh, US Department of Defense uh, indicating. Uh, Five eighth by twenty four thread is not enough for a thirty cow hence moving to three quarter thread, um, and and some. Uh, That's exactly right. Yeah, some. But some... it'll depend.
1: It'll it'll de- it'll depend on whether it was a hammer forged barrel or what have you. And um, you've got to keep in mind that the grunts don't tend to get issued hammer forged barrels for long range sniper rifles. Sure. Right. and that te- that testing actually came from the US, um, and they demonstrated that if you're running a thirty cal, particularly above three oh eight, mm-hmm. you really do need a three quarter inch or nineteen point one millimeter yep. uh, thread.
0: Yeah. Okay. Very good. Good. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Good to know, man. And, and so, there's um, a question here about does does powder selection affect the performance of the brake at all?
1: Uh, That's a good question that I can't really give a definitive answer to, but I think it really depends on how much of the powder is being burnt. Mm.
2: Um,
1: If all your powder is burnt, then I think you would get a different result than if you were getting um, 90% of your powder burnt or 95% of your powder burnt. Mm. Um, uh, I run uh, some pretty sophisticated uh, load forecasting stuff and and uh, quick load is one of them. I use about five of them. Yep. But uh, with quick load, if I just won't use a load that produces less than ninety five percent burn rate, and I really am looking for ninety eight percent and above. Yeah. Okay. Because if you're not, if you haven't burned all the gases. Mm-hmm. Um. Then they, uh, then when it gets to the uh, end of the muzzle and let's rip. I guess the question is, is it 94, 96, 95 that got burnt, and where's it burning, and how is it, and how is that behaving when it hits the first glass plate? Mm. And um, that's not something I've been able to uh, monitor or measure at this stage. I don't have the 1.1 million frames a second uh, camera. <laughs>
0: We'll uh, we'll get we'll get onto that there, mate. We'll get onto that. That'll be uh, just to upgrade your web camera a bit. We'll be good. We'll be good to go. <laughs> so, uh, Steve, in terms of oh, we, we we've fairly extensively covered muzzle breaks, I think. Um, is there is there more to it? I mean, there's always more to discuss. Is there is there more that we want to delve into?
1: There are. Other tools that you can use in terms of barrel weights mm-hmm. and um, what the uh, the rimfire fellows uh, call blue tubes yep um, I tend to want to stay away from that subject because I know blue tubes are legal, but when you read or interpret um, different acts around the country, um, I think it's more that they're tolerated that rather than legal. I don't know. yeah okay. Um, but in in uh, and I'm uh, I'm thinking primarily of our local legislation rather than um, a comprehensive appraisal of all the other state legislation. Mm-hmm. But a blue tube on a rimfire works. Yep. A blue tube on a on a centerfire can't never will work. Right. Because mm-hmm. because you're creating a gas cloud chamber and then confining it for the bullet to pass through, and it has absolutely no way of having a part. Yep. Okay. And that's simply be, that's simply because the gases are going faster than the ball. Yes. Whereas with a with a rim fire, you're, you're everything subsonic. Normally for normally for rim the fire competitions, soft. they are. Yeah. That? Anyway. Okay. Yeah. So, so that that was basically the context in which I wanted to put it in. Yeah. Yeah. And and then thought I'll throw it open for questions from there because. Anything after that is starting to make it probably a little bit too
0: technical. Sure. Um, so a good, good question here from Dave. It talks about um, so somebody has made some conscious decisions about this, about their intermediate ballistic, something they may never have thought about it. So they've spent time researching brakes and they've got one and they've, they've on their new barrel they've got the appropriate thread. What what can they expect the actual result of of making so putting some time into this area, to actually see.
1: Uh, I'm sorry, the first half of that question I got interrupted in the uh, no, no, yeah. uh, the transmission. It, it was it, it was uh, very patchy, so I missed the first half of it. Sorry, mate.
0: No worries, Steve. So if if someone is to so they, they they've taken what you've said on board and they've they've spent some time thinking about this part of their their ballistics uh, um, trap. Travel, I guess, uh, and so they've, yep. they've they've got an appropriate brake and they've they've got a new barrel anyway, so they've they've got the, a better thread suited for that, uh, and they're quite aware of the projectiles they're using, and they're sort of they're making conscious decisions around this. What sort of improvements yep. are they going to see as a reward for uh, spending the time here?
1: Oh, look, it's very hard to quantify because there are so many variables about the quality of the barrel, the quality of the brake, the quality of the installation. But I've seen uh, improvements up to 30% on uh, stuff that was good to start with and then properly uh, uh, designed and uh, installed brakes and what have you. Uh, Particularly in the ESs and SDs, you may not see huge uh, improvements uh, on the uh, target of hundred meters but mm-hmm. you will have a k plus simply because you've reduced your ESs and SDs
0: yeah yeah okay so that that's sort of the 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 way we make quantify. of course putting a new barrel on all the, these sort of things uh, but but we, we're wanting to stack things in our favor and and no doubt there are other yeah. there are other points across the uh, ballistics uh, travel that we uh, we will take into account um,
1: well the, the other, the other thing a brake will do that in regards to accuracy mm-hmm. is that it will broaden your tolerance, uh, for nodal points.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: So I'm calculating, uh, or trying to find a nodal point in a 30 inch barrel and I put a muzzle brake on it. Yep. I don't care what the dimension of the muzzle brake is. I will add half an inch to the barrel length for the calcul, for the purposes of the calculation. Mm-hmm. But what that does, because you're evening out your ESs and your SDs, is that it tends to broaden the, uh, the nodal point. So um, some nodal points are very uh, sensitive to uh, air temperature, pressure, velocity, all that kind of thing. Yes. Right. Um, if you're, You'll know. I, 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 I first started my um, professional career with a 243 and using exactly the same uh, uh, ammunition and exactly the same rifle, uh, I would have one day, I would, I'd be shooting half inch groups. Mm-hmm. And the next day with exactly the same kit, you couldn't shoot a two inch group. And what it was was literally nothing more than a change in the temperature from shooting in the uh, early morning to yeah. shooting in the early afternoon.
2: Yeah.
1: It was really, really sensitive to those kind of changes. A properly installed and calculated load with a with a muzzle brake will broaden that quite a lot, and it's actually uh, to, uh, to the point where, um, if it's done correctly, um, you uh, for short range shots, you wouldn't even have to make any accommodation for it. The only time you would accommodate any uh, 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 climatic uh, change uh, would be for extremely long shots. Yep. And
0: by that I mean way more than six hundred. Yep. yeah. We we certainly do see guys uh, who when they're when they're loading for you know trying to find a load for their season for PRS, and, and they will they will consider the environment they're in. They'll consider what matches they're thinking of going to, and, and they'll make some decisions based around that. Um, is not mm. not uncommon to see and to hear of, uh, in in uh you know if they're in Victoria and they're they're loading you know they're. they're Testing yeah, the yeah. when it's cooler, uh, but they plan to shoot Darwin or they plan to go up to uh, Queensland or something on those lines. Oh, they, oh, they'll they'll favour down the lower end uh, of that of that node, try to find the, the the start of it, so to speak, and and so they've got a good buffer point there because they they yeah you, know, you may not go a colder temperature or, or or lower conditions, but you'll probably encounter something warmer. Um, yeah, and, and so interesting, interesting point you make about sort of giving it a larger, uh, a larger buffer zone. Really,
1: it it it's actually if um, uh, it's the atmospherics because yep. I know exactly what it's going to do. Yeah, um, but I also have items that are a little bit more sensitive than that. Um, <laughs> sure, uh, and uh, I think there are probably uh, two calibers that irritate me endlessly in in, in that regard. Um, but uh, I just have to be uh, conscious of um, what the load is and the and the conditions under which I'm shooting at the time. And sometimes I'll just leave that particular rifle behind because it's it, it doesn't like it.
0: Mm. Yep, absolutely, um, Stevie. Uh, there's a question here from uh, from Dave about uh, the the outer edge style projectiles. Do they gain any uh, anything? Um more for like the fact that they're, they're lathe turned uh, copper projectile, does that benefit being a boat tail going through a muzzle break uh, more significantly than a traditional type projectile?
1: The, 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 I, know, I, I should put Dave on the payroll. Um, <laughs>
0: He's asking all the right question.
1: questions. <laughs> and, um, when, when I said to you before that a, a Jacketed lead bullet has a rounding on on the at the base Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is is, is The only way they can actually extrude the bullet out of the uh, out of the die. Yep On a uh, a Lathe turn bullet You can actually give it a very sharp uh, Angular Mm -hmm. so it'll look like that as opposed to rounded. Yes, that sharp edge has two benefits one is that it gives you a clean exit from the from the model mm-hmm. uh, and the other one is that it actually improves BC by around about one and a half percent yep
2: yeah right.
1: so there is a there really is a benefit to it but it would be extremely hard to, to see it by picking it up and looking at the bullet
2: yeah
1: Yeah. Uh, Uh, We specifically designed – it was a result of uh, research done by the American uh, Aeronautical uh, uh, Institute uh, of Engineers. They ran a whole series of tests on both aircraft and projectiles and rockets, and they came to the conclusion that a very sharp edge on anything flying will improve the BC or uh, uh, lessen its resistance to Mm flight than uh, a rounded edge. Yep. So that's had huge influence, on, particularly on uh, some of the uh, high-speed, um, high-altitude aircraft. Uh, and then they realised, well, oh, bullets are going about this fast. <laughs> and they started doing tests on that. And even Litz himself has um, uh, admitted that he, he, he ran a series of tests on it and actually acknowledged the fact that it was so, that it's true. The only reason that the uh, extruded-bought uh, manufacturers don't do it is because they
0: can't. Gotcha. Yep, because of the process they use.
1: Be, and it's, it's all to do with the manufacturing yep. process, not yep. because they don't know what they're doing.
0: Yeah.
2: Um,
1: and, and, and they do go to extraordinary lengths to minimise their meat um, plate noses and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, do the very best they can on getting that angle right on the exit. Yep. But it's still around at edge, and there's not much more they can
0: do about that. Sure. Yeah, just limitation of uh, of the, the the way it's done. Yeah, I've got a uh, yeah, I've got yeah. a quick question for you, Steve. Um, how do you keep so so much in your head? Because I've I think I've forgotten what we talked about when we opened the show. Um, how how is it that you are able to retain these, uh, you know, the studies that are done by a certain, I don't remember what you said, um, certain group for, is it just just because there's such a significant passion for you and that you spend literally all day doing it?
1: In many ways, I'm like Luke. I've just taken a different path. Mm -hmm. He wants to win the competition. I can identify with that fantastic uh, all-power to you. Yep. I am absolutely obsessed with making the best product possible. So I uh, probably spend three days a week mostly in my non-manufacturing time. So normally Saturdays and Sundays, I might get a two half days or evenings during the week where I do nothing. Spend somewhere between eight and ten hours a day researching. Yep. yep. And you should see my documentation files. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I bet. I have. I, I have a thirty-page uh, scientific white paper here, mm-hmm. just on the nuances of the stability formula. Right. Well,
0: that and, and that is. That, that answers my that question is, then.
1: <laughs> and I, I don't know whether I'm OCD or just need psychological help. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: fantastic, mate. Fantastic. Well, yeah, I tell you what. We, as you as you know, this is uh, this is uh, the wrap up week of this show, but we have certainly appreciated your uh, three appearances on this show, uh, and hope i'm hope I'm allowed to say this, but um we we've talked about what the future will hold doing what we're doing we obviously have I've been clear with people that this uh format is changing, but we do we we want to do something and and the really exciting news for those who are watching um is that Steve has said he would like to be involved or is happy to be involved. Uh, in 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 what happens in the future, so he won't disappear. I mean, you can always find him at Outer Edge Projectiles, of course. Uh, but he uh, he will still um, be part of this community and still be able to put the uh, the amazing stuff that he does spend four hundred hours a week researching uh, out uh, and provide that you <laughs> know in a distilled version uh, to to many of you, um, which uh, which is. A, and amazing to have someone in the community that has that level of understanding that is also then able to put it forward. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what what this uh, whatever the, the next the next chapter holds. But it's been wonderful to have you on this show, Steve, and uh, we look forward to um, to well wh- whatever that form that takes next.
1: Thanks very much, Rusty, and and for the guys who've uh, entrusted us with uh, some orders and uh, and uh, product going out. Thank you, and I do really uh, look forward to catching up with you. I've actually really enjoyed this process, Mm. Uh, and uh, I'm more than happy to uh, continue, continue to come and play.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I know you. You the, the really good thing is it's not just been uh, yourself uh, on the nights that you're on. You're regularly uh, in in the chat or talking with people or answering questions there as well, which is um, p- part of the whole community rather than just uh, appearing from time. to time. Yeah. Not that we mind people appearing from time to time. That's also wonderful. But you've uh, you've really embraced it, so it's been uh, been fantastic. I've just chopped the uh, the link to the. Um, the Outer Edge projectiles listing on Projectile Warehouse. Don't forget, you can save 5% off anything at Projectile Warehouse using the code (laughs) IDLive5. And, uh, Steve, that's uh, about wrapping it up tonight, mate. Thank you very much and always a pleasure to see you and and talk with you and uh, we will no doubt uh, do that again soon. Good on you, mate. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Righto guys, well that, uh, that is Thursday Reloading Night. Uh, thanks for, uh, for everyone who uh, got involved and asked questions. I'm sorry, we, I know we didn't quite get to all of them, but uh, we uh, we certainly covered a lot tonight. That might be a, an episode, uh, it'll be out on the podcast tomorrow if you don't realise this is, this is actually a, a, on an audio podcast as well and that might be a really good way to have that playing several, probably 400 times over to, uh, to <laughs> delve into some of the stuff that was uh, mentioned there. Uh, and as I said tonight, sponsored by Projectile Warehouse. Uh, you can save... 5% or an extra 5% off everything uh, from Outer Edge Projectiles as well as uh, from uh, from the, the whole range there Projectile Warehouse using the code Live 5 uh, That would be excellent. Uh, good news is Australia Post is starting to get a little bit better at uh, delivering things in a more reasonable time, which is, uh, which is a nice welcomed uh, relief. Uh, Tiftu is on tomorrow night uh, Ironside Coffee's hat. Uh, go check them out as well And uh, all sorts of stuff going on Guys thanks so much for, uh, for hanging around And uh, great to uh, hear from you guys And uh, see you and uh, we'll see you tomorrow night Cheers
2: I don't I am not